In this episode of the Unfold the Soul, Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast, wait a minute, after one week, you know you can't teach these kids and you know they won't be ready for the end of year assessment and you ready to quit? Well, go on and pack your and get to stepping. Welcome to the Unfold the Soul Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast. This show examines the good, the bad, and the ugly experiences of a leader at that school. The content for this one-of-a-kind podcast will be the real, raw, unvarnished, unedited, and at times, uncensored journal entries by the school's former principal. So get ready to lean in, learn, laugh, grow, and at times, even gasp with your host, best-selling author, speaker, leadership coach, and status quo disruptor, Ken Williams. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Unfold the Soul podcast. I'm Ken Williams. For those of you who've been listening the entire time, and by entire time, I mean this is episode 10, I thank you. For those of you meeting me for the first time, I'm a former classroom teacher, assistant principal, and school principal. I've led two different schools through the PLC Learning for All process. I now consult with schools and coach principals all across North America. If you want to find out more about me and my work, you can go to unfoldthesoul.com. I'm not going to take too much time with the intro. The journal entry this week isn't long, but I got a lot of processing to do. I'm telling you that right now. One of the unexpected benefits that has come from doing this podcast is and I think I've mentioned this before but I'll mention it again it's uh it's it's humbling you know it's uh it, it's it's one thing when you consult and you have all the answers or a lot of the answers and you're able to overcome objections and answer questions and solve problems but the real gold is the journey it took to get there and reading back through these entries takes me right back to where I was. And as you'll learn, you know, where I was at times was a good place that has just sustained over time. And other times it was, uh, it was, I was in a place that needed uh, some changing and adjusting. So I really enjoyed it. And the only reason I continue to do it week after week is because you not only listen, but you share the podcast. So please listen, please share, please leave a review. I appreciate it. Now, you didn't subscribe to this podcast to take in this buttery baritone. You subscribe so we can get inside that journal, baby. So let's do that. It's time for the read. It's August 22nd. And a lot has happened today, but I'm writing about the one thing that matters. And that is, my music teacher quits. And I could fucking kill her. She's been here for a little over one full week, and she decides to quit because, get this, the end of year music test is just way too difficult for our kids. Oh yeah, she also doesn't know how to grade the kids. The bottom line? She doesn't want to teach these spirited kids at my school. And I let her know that people quitting on them is all these kids know. Damn, I wanted to pull that pimp hand out on her. And then, in her last 10 days, she had the nerve to have a lot of success 
leading up to her departure. Here's one of the shorter journal entries that just leaves me a lot to unpack. I'm continually amazed at how I'm, I'm more than a decade removed from leading that school and this incident. I mean, 15 years, to be honest with you. And still, reading it for the first time in years, you know, which was last week, you know, on the last episode, I always preview the next episode, I was immediately triggered. I, I really was. I don't know that I could have recorded this episode when I read the entry for the first time because I was back there and just the visceral anger that I had and frustration over the incident. Now, years later, you know, this 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 part of the podcast is about me reflecting on what happened. And so I, I think a little differently now. Even though deep down in my gut, I'm still pissed. I'm still pissed. So let's get into it. Listen, I, I knew we had a challenging school. I mean, we were the lowest performing school in the district. And the district was the lowest performing district in the greater Atlanta area at the time. I knew it was a challenging school. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. And I've been around education long enough to know that it's not for everyone. And I don't judge. It's, it's, it's all good. It's not for everyone. What burned me so badly and still does to this day is the fact that she determined in August, the first month of school, that our kids weren't going to be able to master the assessment given in April or May. And so she she predetermined already. Like she didn't have the goods. And moreover, these kids in August, I've already determined they're not going to pass in May. She knew that. And that burned my ass and still burns my ass to this day. The idea that we could stamp kids as failures and say it with a straight face. It just blows my mind. It it not only speaks to a complete fixed mindset the bell-shaped curse. But it also just speaks to the teacher's level of efficacy. Like you have no belief in yourself, no belief in the teammates around you. And you can just determine that. So that really, really bothered me. Another thing that bothered me was this school was somewhat a culture shock for me, not in terms of the makeup of the kids or the staff. That, that wasn't the issue. It was more of a school culture shock. I come from a district, while no district is perfect, you know, Montgomery County Public Schools was well-funded. Uh, I maintain that they operated like Lowe's to Home Depot, Home Depot to Lowe's, Walmart to Target, you know, where, you know, they keep each other on their toes. And so we had Fairfax County right across the river in Virginia and always seemed to be in competition. And, and some of the positives were like, the, you know, neither wanted to drop the ball. So my point is this, I was the principal of a small little school, 350 kids, and we weren't even on like the main radar of the district, like we were up in the corner. But if I, if I had a second grade teacher whisper in a conversation as she was thinking of transferring, 
I would get 50 resumes through the inner office mail. I never had to go to job fairs. I laughed at people who went to job fairs because I always had a stack of resumes to go through. And it's not like we were a high-performing school. But hiring, man, I you know, it was just about me investing the time to find the right person. But I was going to find the right person. I was always going to find the right person. And it was rare if almost never that I began a school year not fully staffed. I mean, it would have to be like something super specialized that required some really, really specific and rare certification for me to not have everybody on board, ready to go on day one. And that was not the case at my school outside Atlanta. It it was not the case. And we had lots of teachers working in like uh, second career provisional programs, lots of um, we're going to go ahead and certify you, but you need to go ahead and get your education. But for now, you can be a teacher kind of teachers, good people who wanted it. But man, Pickens were slim. And then on top of that, the reputation of the school did not help. And so I spent, you know, several weeks trying to fill positions. And, you know, the music teacher was one of those positions. And I can't, I'm not going to tell you like she knocked me off my feet in the interview, but I thought she would be, you know, be fine. She would be fine. And so the fact that I was back to square one with that position on top of, I imagine, a few others that needed to be filled just really frustrated me. And if if she quit without giving me her rationale about our kids not going to, our kids not, she didn't think our kids would be ready by April. It would have just been frustrating, but frustration moved to visceral anger when she basically said, these kids ain't going to make it like these little kids ain't going to make it. And I wasn't going to have that. You know, when we as a society are at our best, then I want schools to emulate what we see outside the school walls. You know, when as a society, we honor ingenuity and honor positivity and honor innovation and creativity like I love that and I want to see that happening in schools as well but man we're not at our best it is really hard to not have the uh, less than best of us as a society not seep into schools and listen you turn on the news you pick up a newspaper all the things you said about our kids I mean you can read it but I need it for us to be different once we cross that threshold I need us to be visionary to not Talk about, you know, determining our kids' destiny based on what they walked in or, walk, or walked in without. I needed our kids to know that there was a bright, amazing future ahead of them and our staff to know that we're going to base that on the talent in the room. But this was an example of, you know, my music teacher. She kind of brought in, she had her, you know, our less than best Uh, society glasses on and just just determined that these kids were not going to make it. And that, that really frustrated me. And it also stayed with me throughout my leadership. And I, you know, will continue to hammer home that once we get inside these walls, there are some ways where we, that we must be different. We must be better. We must see more clearly than the average person sees the average person picking up the newspaper or reading a Newsweek article or watching 60 minutes about, you know, poor underprivileged kids we must be better because we are better. I admit that at the time, that incident 
made me turn and really appreciate my staff a lot more. And listen, we were the hot mess express, baby. We were a hot mess with, without question. But when I told her about these kids, all they know is people quitting on them. I meant it. And it made me turn around to our staff. And I said this to them a hundred different times throughout my tenure there. For a lot of our kids, we are the most stable adults in their lives. For a lot of our kids, we are the most stable adults as we were dysfunction junction, right? I mean, we really were. That said, we were still some of the most stable adults in their lives. And they're spending most of their waking hours with us. So we've got to step up. While we shape up, clean up, straighten up, we got to step up and be those people for our kids. So while I still had to deal with confronting a lot of misaligned adult behavior, just a lot of trifling stuff that was going on, I also had one eye looking for the good, looking for the strengths. You know, for those folks who I thought would be with us past a year, I needed to, uh, you know, with the mindset of a coach, kind of reach down inside them and and pull out the best of them and, and, and show them who they could be. You know, th this is all about cascading leadership. For teachers, the kids are your classroom. But for me as a principal, like teachers and staff, that's that's my classroom. And I got to speak it into them. And I got to talk to them like they're gifted and tell them we're going to turn this thing around because of who we are, not because our population is going to change or the median income is going to rise. It's because of who we are. And we're already in, a, in an area of Atlanta that when I was in college was uh, – it was a suburb. I mean, Clayton County was the boondocks. I mean, it was a nice little bedroom community. And then I learned that when Atlanta got the Olympic Games, they knocked down a bunch of, you know, government subsidized housing for poor folks in the city. They knocked it down to put up a lot of those villages to accommodate the world. And the deal was... Uh, we're going to knock down these buildings and Clayton County, you're going to take a lot of our displaced people. And, and, and that's why the, the socioeconomic demographic changed so drastically there. That said, you know, waiting around for that wave to reverse itself, right, is, is a lesson in futility. We had to make things happen with the talent we had on staff, with the talent in the room. As a leader, this incident also taught me that I've got to I've got to raise my sights. I've got to increase my expectations. I've got to expect more from people I'm interviewing for positions. I'm going to be really vulnerable here. You know, I've when when you've got 50 resumes before there's an actual job opening, you're going to find the right person, right? If you, if you invest the time, more than likely you're going to find the right person. And it's easy to, you know, rest on your laurels regarding, you know, who you've hired and the quality. But man, when you're scraping and having to search under rocks and around corners and, you know, really sell a vision to people because what surrounds you is not necessarily the dream, that is a whole different pot of coffee baby and I I had not experienced that and looking back 
I realized that I let my ex, I, I dropped my bar on the quality of teacher I was hiring. And again, nothing stood out negatively. I didn't look past. There wasn't anything in the interview that should have indicated that she wasn't going to be the right person. It just gave me, it just gave me pause in general about hiring that I've got to, I've got to believe I can, that I can and we can attract the right people to this school, not based on where it is today, but where we're going tomorrow. And so later on, that really led to us doing a really powerful visioning exercise that helped me speak it into existence when hiring. But I had to, I had to raise my sights. I had to get my, I had to raise my level of expectation to where I had it when I was a principal in Montgomery County because I wasn't, uh, you know, every decision starts and stops with me. And yeah, she quit and I was really pissed with her, but I'm always thinking about what did I do to cause that situation? What did I do to prevent that situation? And I have some responsibility there. I, I decided I was going to raise my sights. And if I had to have subs in positions for longer in order to find the right person, I was just going to have to do that. And there, there, there's going to be some uh, journal entries in the future where I talk about what the hiring process looked like. And it was awesome and intense. Kneecap to kneecap, eye to eye, baby. The last reflection I want to leave you with is this. Years later, you know, if, you know, what I know now, if I knew then, after I got over my anger about how she felt, I would have probably thanked her for understanding that, you know, while her reasoning was faulty, she wouldn't cut out for this. And she knew it. I'm not saying her reasons were the right reasons, but she wasn't cut out for this and she took action. You know, in the years since my tenure at that school, I have, in my travels, met way too many teachers and leaders who they may not feel exactly the way she did, but they're not cut out for this. They're not feeling this profession, and yet they still ride it out. I call them kid killers. And so with that in mind, I thank that music teacher for realizing this wasn't the fit for her or perhaps education wasn't the fit for her. She wasn't a brand new teacher. She was experienced, but she got out of there. You know, sometimes, I, you know, not sometimes, there are still way too many folks who are still in the profession in America where you can, uh, you have choices on what your career is going to be and where to work and and still persist and and, and, and grind out and do harm to kids and do harm to their colleagues. In fact, in my travels all over the country, when I meet people, perhaps on like flights and you know, they'll ask what I do and I'll talk about being an educator, I can't tell you the number of people, and this is almost the same, it doesn't matter who it is, what they look like, I'll say I'm an educator and I'll meet, I've met plenty of people who will then say, oh, I was a teacher for a year, but it wasn't for me. And they almost like drop their head and drop their eyes almost like with, with a look of shame. And I, I tell them like, hey, no, pick your head up and uh, uh, let me shake your hand, pre-COVID. Let me shake your hand. I thank you. The, the profession thanks you for realizing that it wasn't for you. Because again, we got way too many folks who should realize it and don't. 
So a, a couple of questions and a challenge for you. The, the, the first is, are you in a situation where it's a challenge to find really good people? Has that affected your expectations for the quality educator you want to hire? And when I say educator, I mean any person who is going to directly impact the life of a child at the school. So whether it's a you know certified you know teacher or a support professional like you know paraprofessional and a counselor or other positions, are you keeping your expectations high? I'm not going to tell you it's easy, especially if you're at that school, because unfortunately in this society we have the well not the society but in our profession. I'm not going to blame society. It's our profession because it doesn't happen in every profession. But man, like our neediest schools with our neediest populations often get, we don't get to hire like the, the best of most experienced teachers. And I'm, I'm careful when I say best, it's, it's more about the experience. You know, I, I had a surgery a few months ago and the, the first doctor who examined me thought it was going to be one type of surgery, then you know, he said, hey, you're in the kind of shape where you may qualify for this less invasive approach. But Dr. McMath is much more experienced in that area, so I'm going to hand you off to him. And so my, my needy medical case went to the most experienced surgeon. And in education, it, it, it seems to be the opposite. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I, I drive a couple of really old pimp mobiles from the 70s. And when I take them for repair, there are a bunch of young cats there, a bunch of great technicians who know what they're doing with modern cars. But my cars, I, I drive a 72 and a 75. And it almost is like there's like a, it's like this smoky cloud. And then out of that cloud, Ron steps forth. And Ron's a cat. He may be my age or a little older, but he has tons of experience with those old school cars. Because, you know, you open up a hood of a new car and there's a big old thick plastic cover over a bunch of MacBook Pros and, and Dell computers. But I drive cars that you can actually work on, but they're needy. They're needy. So the most experienced technician at my auto repair place works on my cars and somehow we've got to flip that we got to flip that equation in our field here's my one challenge for you are you still betting on kids and if you are i'm going to tell you to stop stop betting on kids when your best teachers and the most effective leaders look a kid in the eye on day 1 and say it's going to be a great year and you're going to learn tons they're not basing that on what they see they're not basing that on where the kid comes from, what the parents look like, or the income or zip code. They're basing that on their own skill set and the skill set of those around them. We express it and speak it into kids, but it's based on the goods we have. Don't bet on kids. We got to bet on us. We got to bet on us. I knew instinctively that our results weren't going to change because of a new wave of upper middle class folk moving into our service area. That wasn't going to happen. Student learning results, 
teacher learning results were going to improve. Our culture was going to get better because we were going to lean into our collective expertise and deliver on that promise. We had to believe, we had to look around that room with all the adults, every single person, and understand that we've got the goods, that we've got the goods to overcome all manner of challenge, adversity, and circumstance. Because you can't have your population determine your destiny. Your destiny is based on the talent in the room and how you leverage it. And so my question for staff became, here's the work we're doing. What do you need me to hunt and gather so you can do this work for our students? I can't do excuses, but I will hunt and gather whatever you need to make this happen. Whatever you need for us to deliver on the promise of equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background. On the next episode of the Unfold the Soul, Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast, Man, I don't even know what to call this next episode. I'm being honest with you. Just put it this way. I'm out of school for three days at a training. Three full days. So just imagine what I walk back into. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast. Please share it, rate, review, and subscribe. And always remember that no matter what's going on in the world, when you wake up on the right side of dirt, You playing with house money, baby. You playing with house money. You've been listening to the Unfold the Soul Bless His Heart podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit unfoldthesoul.com.